الله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله Verily the praise belongs to Allah, we praise Him, seek His assistance and forgiveness and we seek refuge in Allah from the evil of ourselves and the evil consequences of our deeds. Whoever Allah guides, there is no one that can lead him astray and whoever Allah leads astray, there is no one that can guide him. I bear witness that nothing deserves to be worshipped except Allah alone and that He has no partners or associates. And I bear witness that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is a slave servant and his messenger. I'd like to continue this evening where we left off before the break uh, and before the examination for the first section of the book, Kitab uh, al-Tawheed and its sharh or explanation by Al-Imam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab ibn Sulaiman Tamimi al-Najdi Rahimahullah in which we have covered a number of chapters primarily dealing with the definitions of a shirk and a tawheed and the dangers of a shirk and the fear of shirk and so on the chapter that we have reached this evening it is the chapter entitled Bab Ma Ja'a Fizzabh Bighayrillah and what has been transmitted or reported concerning Al-Zabh sacrifice for other than Allah the warnings against such the threat of those who do so who make a sacrifice of an animal, the spilling of blood of an animal for other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the ruling concerning it and the destination of the one who dies on such an act. The Shaykh has mentioned, that is Imam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab rahimahullah has mentioned a number of books either from the Quran or from the Sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam related to this chapter which in brief summarizes some of the important points related to the topic of the ruling and the warning and the threat against those who perform a sacrifice which is dedicated to other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala before mentioning the proofs from the text of the book just quickly I'd like to read some notes from uh, one of the explanations of Kitab al-Tawheed كتاب القول السديد في مقاصد التوحيد للشيخ عبد الرحمن السعدي رحمه الله in which he summarizes each of the chapters in just a few words and concerning this chapter he mentioned something of importance that we have discussed previously but just as a review uh, because of the chapters that are coming this evening and the future chapters he said that concerning a shirk being divided into two divisions, al-shirk al-akbar and al-shirk al-asghar. 
he said that the boundary or the limit of al-shirk al-akbar and its explanation which combines and covers and includes all of its types all types of al-shirk al-akbar, major shirk its definition is that a person offers any type any single act of ibadah to other than Allah yani the offering of any type of worship or even one single act of worship to other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala this is shirk akbar when someone does any act which is an act of worship and they direct that act or offer it or do it for the pleasure or for the hope of reward or benefit from other than Allah therefore every belief speech and action which the Sharia and the Shari that is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has ordered us with every belief every speech and every action which has been confirmed that we are ordered by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to do it offering that act to other than Allah it is shirk whoever offers it to Allah alone it is tawheed and iman, faith and ikhlas sincerity or purity offering it to Allah alone is tawheed and offering it to other than Allah is shirk and kufr and this is shirk akbar as for shirk al-asghar he said the definition of shirk asghar is every means or every way that leads to a shirk al-akbar whether it is by someone's intention or speech or action every way or every means of speech or action or intention that leads to shirk akbar but that speech or that action itself has not reached the level of becoming an act of ibadah and it didn't reach the level of ibadah it's not an act of ibadah but it might lead to shirk akbar then this is shirk asghar and in shirk akbar is every type of worship whether speech or action or otherwise or belief that is held in the heart if it is an act of worship it is shirk akbar if it's not an act of worship but it leads to shirk akbar then it's shirk asghar minus shirk so these two definitions are pretty much inclusive and it's important to keep them in mind in reference to what we have covered previously and what will be covered in the coming chapters what is the difference between shirk al-asghar al-shirk al-asghar and al-shirk al-akbar al-akbar it is any act of worship whether action or speech or otherwise which is offered to other than Allah it is major shirk and if it didn't reach the level of becoming an act of worship itself but it leads it opens the way to an act of shirk akbar then it is shirk akbar minus shirk Uh, the first proof that Imam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab begins with in this chapter Bab ma what has been reported concerning sacrifice or or the spilling of blood the shedding of blood of an animal for other than Allah for other than Allah the first proof which he mentions is the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-An'am chapter 6 verse 162 the saying of Allah قُلْ إِنَّ الصَّلَاةِ وَنُصُقِ وَمَحْيَايَ وَمَمَاتِ لِلَّهِ رَبِّ الْعَالَمِينَ لَا شَرِيكَ لَهُ وَبِذَلِكَ أُمِرْتُ وَأَنَا أَوَّلُ الْمُسْلِمِينَ 
Here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ordered the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to say, Say, verily my salat and my nusuk, sacrifice, zabh, any nusuk, it is a zabh, sacrifice, the spilling of blood. Verily my, my prayers as well as my sacrifice. وَمَحْيَايَ My life and all that I do in the time, in my lifetime. وَمَمَاتِي And my death, that which I die upon. Yani, meaning the condition that a person dies in, in terms of their iman and their righteous deeds. Life and death, all of it is for Allah. لِلَّهِ رَبِّ الْعَالَمِينَ All of it is for Allah. It all belongs to Allah alone. لَا شَرِيكَ لَهُ And there is no one or nothing that shares with him. He has no partner in this right of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. His right of all worship, whether salat or sacrifice or otherwise. It is the right of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Istihaq. It is the right that is owed and belongs to Allah alone. And likewise, life and death. It is owned by Allah. It is in the possession of Allah. He is the one who possesses the power and authority over life and death. And He alone has this ownership or this authority. Allah alone deserves worship and Allah alone controls life and death. And some of the scholars said that these two categories, the prayers and sacrifice, and the life and death, there are two categories of tawheed. The first of them is tawheed al-ubudiyah. That salat and sacrifice, it is ubudiyah. It is in, rela- in, in relation to tawheed al-ubudiyah that Allah alone has the right to be worshipped. And the second of them, mahiyaya wa mamati, life and death, it is in relation to tawheed al-rububiyah. That Allah is the one who gives life and death and who controls it. So here, both al-ubudiyah and al-rububiyah, ubudiyah, the right of worship belonging to Allah alone and Rububiyya, the right of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to control life and death and everything in the creation which He has created. These are both included here in this statement. All of this belongs to Allah. And it is further confirmed by the words La Sharika Lah, and He has no partner in these things, in His right to be worshipped and in His authority over life and death. Be Dalika Umirtu. And with this I have been commanded, yani with ikhlas, that offering all worship to Allah alone and recognizing that Allah is the power of life and death, being sincere in recognizing this as the right exclusively of Allah alone, I have been commanded with this, وَأَنَا أَوَلَ الْمُسْلِمِينَ I am the first of the Muslims, those who submit to Allah, and meaning He is the first of the Muslims in this Ummah, in the Ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. As the Qur'an confirms that all of the Prophets who came before him, they were also Muslims, but every prophet was sent with the deen of Al-Islam. Therefore he is not the first Muslim, but he is the first of those who submitted in this Ummah, the Ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa Before going to the points of the Sharh, also it is of importance to mention that Al-Zabh has two important matters that should be considered that when any sacrifice is made, it should be made in the name of Allah, Bismillah. That whenever a sacrifice is made, it should be made by mentioning the name of Allah as Tasmiyah. And this Tasmiyah, it is in a way a recognition that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has authority over life and death. And no one can take any life except by His permission and by His authority. And likewise, the second matter after al tasmiyah which is of equal importance, it is Al-Qafr. Al-Qafr. 
that the person, when they make this sacrifice, they mention the name of Allah, recognizing that Allah has authority over life and death, and they mention the name of Allah. Likewise, not only mentioning the name of Allah in words, but also the intention behind the sacrifice, it should be that it's for Allah alone. And not only the acknowledgement that we cannot take life except by permission of Allah, but also that the taking of that life, it should be for Allah. It should be for Allah alone. Yani to get near to Allah. When someone makes a sacrifice, not only are they required to mention the name of Allah, recognizing that Allah has authority over life and death, but they also should have in their heart the intention that this sacrifice is being offered to Allah. And not in the name of Allah, but being offered to other than Allah. In, in consideration of these two points, al-tasmiyah, the mentioning of Allah's name, and al-qasad, the intention for which the sacrifice is made, some of the scholars said <coughs> that the types of sacrifice may, divided, may be divided into four. The first of them is the person who makes a sacrifice, bismillah, in the name of Allah, walillah, and for Allah. Yani they mention the name of Allah when they sacrifice the animal, and they also have the intention in their heart that this sacrifice is for Allah alone. And this is pure Tawheed, and this is what is required of a Muslim. The second condition is the mentioning of the name of Allah, Bismillah, at the time of slaughtering. While the intention behind that sacrifice is that it's being offered لِغَيْرِ yani The name of Allah is mentioned at the time of the slaughter, but actually it's being sacrificed to some idol, or to some saint in a grave, or to some uh, leader of the people, the king, or, the, or some great person, or whatever. Yani even though the name of Allah is mentioned, but yet the intention it is being sacrificed actually for someone else, to honor someone else, or for hope of some reward or benefit from other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is shirk. In mentioning the name of Allah, they have fulfilled the requirement of mentioning the name of Allah at the time of slaughtering, but the intention being for other than Allah, this is a type of shirk in ibadah. Because they are actually making the sacrifice, though in the name of Allah, but they are making it for other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The third type is the mentioning of the name of other than Allah yani sacrificing the animal in a name بغير اسم الله in a name other than the name of Allah yani when they sacrifice they say they sacrifice Bismi al-Masih in the name of the al-Masih the Christ Jesus or in the name of al-Hussein or in the name of some other of the yani those so-called awliya of Allah who, have, who are considered as saints by some of the people and they go to their graves to make sacrifices to get some benefit or to prevent some harm from befalling them. That the name other than Allah is mentioned and likewise the intention for that sacrifice is farther than Allah. Yani they, they sacrifice it in a name other than Allah and also in their heart it is the intention to sacrifice it for someone or something other than Allah. And this is pure shirk. This is pure shirk. And the fourth category which is perhaps very rare, although it's possible, it might be that someone sacrificed the animal in other than the name of Allah, in other than the name of Allah, yani in the name of someone other than Allah, while it is the intention that this is being offered as a sacrifice, as an act of worship for the sake of Allah, to get near to Allah by it. Yani they're actually saying, I'm sacrificing this animal to get near to Allah, as an act of worship to get near to Allah, but at the time of sacrifice they mention a name other than Allah. Uh, and this is also a form of shirk, shirk in rububiyyah, in that although in their heart the intention is that they are doing it for Allah, but in mentioning a name other than Allah at the time of slaughter, it is as though someone or something other than Allah has control over life and death. And they are mentioning the name of something or someone other than Allah. 
So this is also a form of shirk in the tasniyah or in the mentioning of a name other than Allah. So yani, these categories as the scholars have mentioned, the first of them is that a person slaughters in the name of Allah and for the sake of Allah and this is what is correct and what is expected. The second of them is mentioning the name of Allah but having the intention of offering it to other than Allah and this is a form of shirk. And the third of them, which is the worst of them, is mentioning a name other than Allah and having the intention that is being offered to other than Allah. And the last of them is the mentioning of a name other than Allah while having the intention in one's heart that it is an act or an offering being offered for Allah's sake. <coughs> Here, the explainer, Kitab Tawheed, Muhammad al-Qara'awi Allah, may Allah protect and preserve him says in the general explanation of this hadith that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ordered his prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to inform the pagan mushrikeen those who are worshipping other than Allah that his salat and his sacrifice and whatever he does of actions in his lifetime his life as well as his death that which he dies upon of al-iman and righteous deeds that all of this is purely for Allah alone. Yani that Allah ordered them to inform the mushrikeen that my prayers and my sacrifice as well as whatever I do in my life and my death that I will die upon, all of it is purely for Allah alone without being offered in any way to other than Allah. And also that He is the first of those who have submitted themselves willingly in willing submission to the obedience of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from this ummah, from his ummah, the ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he is the first of the Muslims. From this hadith, the Shaykh mentions four benefits, fawaid or points. The first of them is that as-salat and al-nusuk, that prayers as well as sacrifice, nusuk is al-zabh, both of them are ibadah, both of them are acts of ibadah. They are for Allah, in as-salati wa nusuqi, billahi. Both of these, salat and nusuk, they are for Allah. The second of them is that all of the actions, the righteous actions of a person in his lifetime, if that person intended by doing it to get near to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that act, as long as it was a permissible act, then it will be turned into an act of ibadah, an act of ta'ah, obedience to Allah for which they could expect to be rewarded. And whatever a person does in their life of actions, as long as it is of the permissible things and they do it with the intention to get near to Allah to earn the pleasure of Allah in accordance with that which is pleasing to Allah then it will be considered as an act of obedience to Allah an act of worship for which they can expect to be rewarded inshallah and this is based on their good intention the intention of doing it for the pleasure of Allah and this is based upon the hadith of the Prophet وسلم, that verily actions are judged according to intentions the third point is that al that the yani determining factor in our deeds that will be the final determining point as to where we will go in the next life it is by the seal or the ending of our actions yani what a person dies upon what a person dies upon and there are many hadith proving this point the fourth is that having sincerity for Allah alone al-ikhlas it is a shart or a condition for the acceptance of deeds that whatever we do if we want it to be accepted by Allah we have to fulfill two conditions and the first of them is al-ikhlas and this is indicated 
in this verse in the Quran that everything should be for Allah alone. The second of those conditions is al-muwafaqah or al-mutaba'ah that it should be in agreement with the Sharia or in accordance with the Sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. The relationship of this ayah to the chapter that we are discussing, Majat al-Zabh li Allah is that this ayat indicates that the sacrifice as zabh is not correct nor is it accepted unless it is done for Allah alone it is not accepted unless it is done for Allah alone therefore it is an act of ibadah and whoever offers any act of ibadah to others than Allah then it is shirk so this is the relationship between this ayat and the chapter heading concerning what has been reported about sacrificing to others than Allah yani the sacrifice to others than Allah is forbidden is haram, is shirk the next proof that he mentions is the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Kawthar, chapter 108, verse 2, That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, after mentioning that he had given a kawthar to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the kawthar is, is that great good, all types of goodness, including the river in paradise that was especially for the Prophet Muhammad after mentioning this he said therefore you are ordered to pray to make your salat for your Lord alone for your Lord alone one har and also for your Lord alone you should make sacrifice and nahar is like a zab is a form of sacrifice and both salat as well as nahar or zab is something that belongs to Allah alone. Therefore it is an act of ibadah and whoever offers it to other than Allah it is a form of shirk, shirk akbar. Because any act of worship that's offered to other than Allah is major shirk, major shirk. So all prayers should be offered for, for the pleasure of Allah alone and all sacrifice should be done in the name of Allah with the intention of seeking to get near to Allah and not for any other reason other than the pleasure of Allah alone. Here the Shaykh says the general meaning of this hadith is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ordered his prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam making him to know that he should join between these two types of worship and he combined them that is as salat and as-zabh joining them together or combining them doing both of them both as salat and sacrifice and these two types of worship include four main points that he mentioned here the first of them is at-tawaduh lillah it includes that the person or it it requires that a person be in a state of humility of humbleness before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wal-iftiqar ilayhi and that a person feels their need their great need of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wa-husn al-dhan bihi and that a person has good thought or good expectations from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala yani when a person performs salat or performs sacrifice that they expect only good from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for these actions what they are doing and finally at-taqarrub ilayhi that the person should do this with the idea in mind that it is a means of getting near to Allah they should do it as a means of getting near to Allah and then he said that these two things that is a salat and a nahr prayers and sacrifice are the greatest of all types of ibadah al-badaniyah and al-maliyah yani the greatest of types of uh, worship physical worship that is a salat and material or financial worship that is sacrifice where a person spends their wealth in order to sacrifice an animal for the pleasure of Allah of the benefits from this uh, ayah the shaykh mentions two the obligation 
wujub at-taqarrub ila Allah bi salat that it is obligatory enough to seek to get near to Allah by salat and in the translation the translator said the obligation of getting near to Allah but actually the sheikh says the obligation of getting near to Allah by salat and the second point the obligation of getting near to Allah by sacrifice as zabiha sacrificing it to Allah to the exclusion of anyone besides him yani that it is obligatory on us if we intend to get near to Allah that we should make salat for him alone and that we should make sacrifice for him alone the relationship between this verse and the chapter heading that which has come concerning sacrificing to other than Allah is that this ayat also indicates that uh, getting near to Allah by sacrifice is not acceptable nor is it correct unless it is done for Allah alone for Allah alone to the exclusion of anyone besides him in that case it will be an act of ibadah for Allah it will be based upon al-ikhlas and al-tawheed acceptable to Allah otherwise it is an act of ibadah if it is done for other than Allah it is an act of ibadah offered to other than Allah which is a shirk al-akbar major shirk if anyone offers any act of worship to other than Allah it's major shirk then the author or the explainer of Kitab al-Tawheed here Shaykh al-Qara'awi Allah, may Allah protect and preserve him mentions that the hadith which has been reported from Ali ibn Abi Talib anhu, in which he explained or gave a tafsir or a nahr in this verse فَصَلِّي لِرَبِّكَ وَنْحَرْ that pray to your Lord and wanhar. he explained that nahr here means raising of the hand رَفْرِ يَدَيْنِ and this hadith which has been reported by Al-Hakim and others is Munkar Munkar and we said in Mustalah Hadith that Munkar is one of the most severe types of weak hadith in that it is either a hadith which has been reported by a weak narrator in contradiction to a reliable narrator or a report that contradicts the basic fundamentals of Islam that are confirmed in the Quran and Sunnah and here uh, it is due to the weakness of the narrators that this hadith is considered munkar it is not authentic and therefore it should not be relied upon this uh, uh, tafsir or explanation of this ayat and nahr meaning roughly a or raising of the hands is uh, rejected due to in the chain of narrators there is a narrator Israel ibn Hatim and ibn Hiddam Rahimahullah said that this narrator has reported from مقاتل موضوعات يعني fabricated hadith يعني innumerable fabricated hadith and from amongst them Ibn Hibban mentions from amongst those موضوعات is this hadith which is reported from مقاتل from Al-Asbagh from Ali ibn Abi Talib رضي الله عنه the next proof that the Shaykh mentions the third of them is the hadith of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم reported from Ali Ibn Ali Abi Talib radiallahu anhu in which he said حدثني رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم بأرباع كلمات Ali Ibn Abi Talib radiallahu anhu said that the Messenger of Allah has narrated to me or reported to me four words or four matters أرباع كلمات لعن الله من ذبح لغير الله the first of them is that Allah curses or Allah has cursed whoever makes a sacrifice to other than Allah and this is the important point of this hadith that Allah curses the curse of Allah is upon anyone who makes a sacrifice to other than Allah and if we look around the Muslim world today in the Arab countries as well as outside of the Arab lands 
we find many of the Muslims are making sacrifices, especially at the graves, to those people who are buried in those graves who they consider as saints or righteous or whatever. And this is an act of shirk al-akbar. And the curse of Allah, according to this hadith of the Prophet is upon whoever does so. And al-la'an, as the scholar said, or the curse, if it is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it means at-tarb wal-ib'ad min rahmatillah, that a person is pushed away or repulsed and far removed from the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yani, al-la'an from Allah means that a person is repulsed and pushed away and far removed from the rahmah of Allah. Uh, and if it is from the creatures, then it means their supplications or their speaking harshly, yani cursing someone. Yani the la'an from other than the from other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if we say that someone cursed someone, it means that they use harsh language against them or that they supplicated that Allah's curse be upon them, or Allah's la'an be upon them, or that they be far removed from the mercy of Allah. Here he says that the curse of Allah is upon the one who sacrifices to other than Allah. And it should be noted here that this is so. Whoever makes a sacrifice to other than Allah, the curse of Allah is upon them, even if they mention the name of Allah. Whether they mention the name of Allah or not. The tasmiyah is one thing. Mention the name of Allah is one thing. But here the point of this hadith is that the person makes the sacrifice for other than Allah. No matter whether they said Bismillah or Bismil Masih or Bismi, whatever, it doesn't matter whose name they made the sacrifice in. But the point of this hadith is that whoever makes a sacrifice with the intention of getting near to other than Allah, for the purpose of pleasing other than Allah, that person is cursed. They are far removed from the rahmah of Allah. And then he went on to say the other three matters of those four. That the curse of Allah be upon the one who curses his parents. And some of the scholars said the cursing of the parents may be direct, that a person curses their own parents. Or it may be indirect, that they curse someone else's parents, and as a result, that person curses theirs. That means they were the cause of someone cursing their parents. And both of these are included in the curse of Allah upon the one who curses his parents. Either he does it directly, or he or she is the cause of someone else cursing their parents due to them cursing theirs. The third of them, Allah من muhdithan. That may the curse of Allah be upon the one who supports or protects a muhdith. And a muhdith is a criminal. Is either a criminal, a person who commits a crime and someone tries to protect them from the punishment that they deserve as a result of that, or it may be the person who does yani, bid'ah, man ahtafa fi amrina, whoever makes something innovative in this religion of ours, this is also a muhdith. That means the person who innovates in the religion, the curse of Allah be upon the one who protects or supports or is pleased with a muhdith, whether it is a criminal who deserves to be punished and they try to protect them from the punishment or he is an innovator who innovates in the religion and a person accepts or is pleased with that innovation that they have made the curse of Allah be upon them and finally that the curse of Allah be upon the one who changes the mileposts or the signposts or the landmarks and he would divide the lands of people so that someone may take advantage of taking someone else's land or get some benefit from the land of another by changing the landmarks uh, the general meaning of this hadith, as Shaykh says, that uh, Ali ibn Abi Talib informs us that he heard the Prophet وسلم, saying uh, or cursing everyone who seeks to get near or, or does an act of getting near to other than Allah by sacrificing. And he does performs an act of sacrifice for the purpose of getting near to other than Allah. And this and the other points of this hadith are all general. 
Yani the curse of Allah on, the, on whoever does such and such or whoever does such and such action without cursing someone specifically or, or supplicating against a person by name specifically. So he said that here the Prophet ﷺ cursed whoever performs a sacrifice seeking to give near to other than Allah and whoever uh, curses their own parents directly or indirectly by causing it and whoever supports and helps and protects a criminal or an innovator and everyone who changes the landmarks or the signposts in order to take by force or illegally the land or property of another. The benefits from this hadith, he mentioned the five, the first of them, the prohibition of making a sacrifice to other than Allah. And this is the point of our chapter. The second of them, the prohibition of cursing one's parents directly or indirectly. The third of them, the prohibition of supporting or helping the criminals or the wrongdoing doers or being pleased with the innovation of the innovators. Number four, the prohibition of changing the landmarks in order to take some of the land of another or their property. The fifth, the permissibility of cursing the fat, the fussaq, the immoral or criminal or evil people. In general, not cursing that person specifically, saying to that one who you see drinking alcohol or committing fornication or doing some other evil or crime or innovation, you cannot say to them, may the curse of Allah be upon you, so and so. But you may say in general, if you saw a person doing, committing some evil, you may say, the curse of Allah be upon the people who commit such and such evil. The general, any wording, is allowed in the Sharia, whereas the specific any mentioning of someone by their name, there's difference of opinion about it, and the correct opinion is perhaps that it's not allowed to do so. Uh, and this point requi- requires some discussion. If there's time at the end, we may discuss some of the things, some of the discussion from Sheikh Muhammad bin Salih al-Taymin, rahimahullah, uh, in his explanation of Kitab al-Tawheed, if time remains. This hadith, the relationship between this hadith and the chapter under discussion, is that this hadith indicates the prohibition of making a sacrifice to other than Allah in that it mentions the curse of Allah upon the one who does so because this is an act of ibadah and the offering of any act of ibadah to other than Allah is shirk, major shirk Uh, the last evidence that the shaykh mentions Imam Muhammad ibn Abdu'l-Wahab rahimahullah the hadith which he said it is reported Ahmed, and after searching the Musnad of Imam Ahmed and the indexes of the Musnad, uh, I was unable to find this hadith only to find out later that apparently the hadith is reported by Imam Ahmed rahimahullah, in his Zuhud, not in his Musnad, but in another book, his Zuhud. In this hadith also there is difference of opinion concerning its authenticity and perhaps the more correct opinion is that um, it is weak, that the hadith is a weak hadith primarily because the narrator of the hadith, Tariq ibn Shihab radiallahu anhu, there is difference of opinion as to whether or not he was a companion, Sahabi, although the majority and perhaps the more correct opinion is that indeed he was a companion of the Prophet sallallahu however there is agreement upon the fact that he didn't hear any hadith from the Prophet sallallahu and there is difference of opinion as to whether or not he met the Prophet as a believer in his lifetime but the stronger opinion is that he did however there is agreement upon the fact even if we say that he was a Sahabi but there is agreement upon the fact that he didn't hear any hadith from the Prophet ﷺ and this hadith is narrated from Tariq ibn Shihab from the Prophet 
So this is the first يعني, defect in the hadith. The second defect in the hadith. Yani also it should be it's worth mentioning in, in reference to Mustala hadith that a hadith from a companion of the Prophet ﷺ, we said that there's two types of Mursal hadith. Mursal, mursal hadith, Mursal as Sahabi. If there's a Mursal hadith from a companion of the Prophet ﷺ, who didn't hear it directly from him, but yet it is, he is a companion, then we accept that hadith because it's yani, unlikely. And it's very, very rare that he would have heard the hadith from other than another Sahabi. In which case, the hadith would be accepted. In which case, the hadith would be accepted. So, according to the opinion of those who said that he was indeed a Sahabi, then we will say this hadith is Mursal Sahabi. Unlike the other Mursal from Tabi'in or others, which is considered as a weak hadith. However, this hadith also has other weaknesses. And from amongst them is the An'ana of Al-Amash, who was known to be a Mudallis. And he narrated the hadith with An. And we said that those who narrate the hadith uh, with such terminology as An or N, and they are from the Mudallithin, those who used to make Tadlif, yani they used to narrate from uh, their Shaykh by other than his name, or they used to delete someone from the Isnad, yani say that they heard the hadith from someone while there was someone in between without mentioning him. Such people, the Mudallisun, if they narrated the hadith by such words as An, then that hadith would be rejected, we said. Unless they said haddathani or akhbarani or the language that's very clear. So this is also a second defect in the hadith that is narrated that in the chain is a mudallis, al-amash, rahimahullah, and he narrated the hadith in this manner which is unacceptable. Likewise, there is a third defect which Shaykh Muhammad bin Salih Uthaymeen mentions and that is that in the Muslim of Imam Ahmed, the hadith is narrated from Tariq ibn Shihab from Salman al-Farisi radiallahu anhu mawqoofan from Salman radiallahu anhu mawqoofan which is more likely because Tariq ibn Shihab didn't hear hadith from the Prophet so he heard it from another Sahabi he heard it from Salman radiallahu anhu but mawqoof and we said mawqoof is what? it is a saying from Sahabi not a saying from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam and it's very likely that Salman who uh, embraced Islam after searching for the truth and meeting people from other religions, inclu- including the Christians, uh, it is very likely that this may be from the Israeliyat or the things that's taken from the Ahl Kitab. So, for this reason, the stronger opinion concerning this hadith is that it is weak. Wallahu alam. In any case, uh, I mean, this is the stronger opinion that this hadith contains some weakness for which we shouldn't rely upon it as a final proof but if what it contains is indicated in other proofs and evidences that have preceded or others that are not mentioned here then at least the point يعني, is established so he says عن فارك ابن شهاب رضي الله عنه أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم قال لذا نسني بالله صلى الله عليه وسلم said دخل الجنة رجل في ذباب the remain into paradise Due to a fly. وَدَخَلَ أَنَّارَ رَجُلٌ فِي ذُبَابٍ And another man into the hellfire. Due to a fly. في ذباب it means من أجلي أو لأجلي. Due to something related to a fly. And the sacrifice of a fly. قَالُوا وَكَيْفَ ذَلَكَ يَا رَسُولُ اللَّهِ The companions they said, How is it so, Messenger of Allah? Yani amazed, how can somebody enter paradise due to something as insignificant as a fly? And likewise, somebody entered paradise due to something as insignificant and unimportant as the flag. قال صلى الله عليه وسلم مر رجلان على قوم لهم صنم لا يجوزه أحد حتى يقرب له شيئا. The two men 
the two men that are mentioned in the beginning of this hadith, they passed by a people, and those people had a sanam, an idol, and a sanam is generally, according to most of the, most of the scholars, it is some kind of idol that is worshipped instead of Allah, and it has a specific shape or form, a specific shape or form, like the shape of a human, or the shape of an animal, or something like this, as opposed to al-wathan, al-wathan, which is also something that's worshipped instead of Allah, but it doesn't have any specific form. It hasn't been carved or shaped by the hands of people, but it's something natural, like something that, in the, that is carved into a mountain or into uh, the land or whatever. And it's something that the people themselves have not uh, carved or shaped, but they worship it instead of Allah, while the sanam is that which they have carved with their own hands from stone or wood or otherwise, and they worship instead of Allah. So those people had a sanam, a statue or idol, and they didn't allow anyone to pass by it unless they offer a sacrifice of something, whatever it may be, they have to offer some sacrifice to that sanam, even if it's something small. فَقَالُوا لِأَحَدِهِمَا قَرِّبُ They said to one of those two men, قَرِّبُ Offer something as a sacrifice to get near to our idol, as a means of nearness to our idol. Offer some sacrifice to it. قَالَ لَيْسَ عِنْدِي شَيْءٌ أُقَرِّبُ he said, but I don't have anything to offer as a sacrifice. Yani, from this hadith, it seems to suggest that the first person, he wasn't completely yani, having any objection to making the sacrifice, but he was just saying, but I don't have anything to sacrifice. And if I had something, okay, but I don't have anything. So they said to him, okay. They said, قال, he said, ليس عندي شيء أقرب. قالوا له they said to him, then offer as a sacrifice even a fly. You have to offer something, even a fly, no problem. But make some sacrifice. Then he did so. He offered as a sacrifice, a fly to that idol. And he committed the act of shirk. Yani, making a sacrifice to other than Allah, even though it's something insignificant, as a means of getting near to that idol. So they let him go about his way and he entered the fire. And he entered the hellfire as a result of making, doing this act of shirk. And this shows that a shirk, even in its least degree, and in the, least amount, the least thing that someone may offer as worship to other than Allah, it is rejected and it will be the cause of a person entering the fire. Then they said to the other man, the second of them, offer something as a sacrifice to get near to our idol. لِأُقَرِّبَ لِأَحَدٍ شَيْئًا دُونَ اللَّهِ عَزَّ وَجَلَّ He said that I would never offer anything as a sacrifice to get near to anyone other than or less than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala يعني لا أقرب لأحدٍ شَيْئًا شَيْئًا Nothing There's nothing that I would offer as a sacrifice to other than Allah to anything less than Allah Not even a fly And he made it clear that he was taking his position that shirk of all types in any degree is rejected and he would never do it. So they struck him, struck his neck and they killed him and he entered the paradise as a result of maintaining his tawheed. Here the shaykh says concerning this hadith that here the Messenger of Allah وسلم, informs us that two men, perhaps they were from Bani Israel, the children of Israel, they passed by some people who had an idol or a statue and they requested from the two of them that they offer something as a sacrifice for getting near to that fanam, to that idol, even if it was something insignificant. So one of them, he offered 
Zubaba, a fly. And this required that he emptied the hellfire. Yani, even though it was only an insignificant thing, the fact that he had in his heart the willingness to offer something to other than Allah as the sacrifice to get near to it, then this was a shirk which required him to be punished in the hellfire. Uh, and so he emptied the hellfire. The second of them, he held back from doing so due to the strength of his iman and the completion and perfection of his tawheed. So they killed him and he entered the paradise. It is worth mentioning here that though there is difference of opinion amongst the scholars as to why that one should enter the paradise and why the other one didn't and some held that they were forced to do what they did and they were forced uh, that one who made the sacrifice did so because he was compelled and forced to do so it was against his will and uh, the proof of it is that the other one when he refused to do so they killed him and if someone does something out of compulsion then they're not held accountable for it if a person says something or does something against Islam even a, a speech or an act of shirk and by compulsion being forced to do so then it would not be held against him as long as Iman is remaining in their heart. But the fact of the matter is that the hadith doesn't indicate that they were threatened with death, that either you make this sacrifice or we'll kill you. But they were only threatened that they won't allow them to pass through. Either you make the sacrifice or you can't pass through. Which means that he could have taken the option to go back and not cross on that road. But he took the option to make the sacrifice, which means that he was not compelled. He wasn't threatened with death. But he did so yani, because of some weakness or defect in his iman. And some of the scholars even said that the one who entered paradise, he was a Muslim. Had he not been a Muslim, then the Prophet ﷺ wouldn't have said that he entered paradise due to a fly. He would have entered uh, the hellfire due to a fly. He would have entered the hellfire because he was a kafir. But he was a Muslim. And he entered into kufr by the shirk that he did. And he entered the hellfire because of the sacrifice of that fly. Not because he was already a kafir previously. In any case, this is a discussion that Shaykh Muhammad ibn Salih al and other scholars mention in the details of the lengthy books of the Sharh, Kitab al-Tawheed, and only if there is some time remaining we may touch on it. The benefits are here mentioned in this hadith, number one, there are seven concerning this hadith. The first of them is the severity of a shirk, even if it is yani The second of the, of the points we have in this hadith is that the paradise and the hellfire are presently in existence and the both of them exist now and this has been confirmed by many of the scholars of the people of Sunnah including Al-Imam Al-Tahawi Rahimahullah who says in his book Aqeel Al-Tahawiyya Unta Nawiriki Al-Jannah Wal-Jannah Wal-Nar Makhluqatan that both the paradise and the hellfire are created in existence. لا تفنيان أبدا ولا قبيدان وأن الله خلق الجنة والنار قبل الخلق وخلق لهما أحلا that the paradise and the hellfire are already created in existence and they would never cease to exist nor they have a broad of existence and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created the paradise and the hellfire before he created the creation and he created for each of them its people. فَمَنْ شَاءَ مِنْهُمْ إِلَى الْجَنَّةِ فَضْلًا مِنْهُ So whether he wills from amongst the Malinka paradise as his, from his bounty. فَمَنْ شَاءَ مِنْهُمْ إِلَى النَّارِ عَدْلًا مِنْهُ And whoever he wills will enter the hellfire and it is justice 
فان هم وكل يعمل لما قد فرج له وسائر الى ما خلق له everyone will act or do the actions of that which has been يعني decreased him and he will travel on to that which has been يعني the place that has been created for him so this is also indicated in this hadith the existence of both Jannah and Nar and this is the Akhir of Ahl Sunnah that the Jannah and the Nar are in existence already the third point is that the most important matter المقصود العظم it is عمل القلب يعني the action of the heart even amongst the worshippers of idols يعني those people order them to make a sacrifice even if it's something insignificant the important thing we want you to do the act The, the, the important thing is not what you sacrifice, a camel or a goat or a sheep, but we want you to make a sacrifice. Because as long as you are willing to make that sacrifice, then you have your heart with us. And this is, then also, not only amongst the Muslims is this so, the actions of the heart are the most important, but even amongst the pagans it was like that. They were willing to accept any kind of sacrifice, the important thing is that your heart should incline towards making that sacrifice to other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the fourth point is the meaning of paradise and hellfire that these two are very near and it is only even the smallest of actions that may allow a person to enter either of them therefore a person should fear doing deeds of shirk especially for fear that they might enter the hellfire it's very near and they should also have hope uh, even to do the least of good deeds that perhaps they might enter the paradise since it is very near number five the warning against sins even if they are In our own consideration, that which is small, we should be warned and cautioned against sins, even if it is something in our own estimation that we consider as being insignificant. Number six, the uh, greatness of the forgiveness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the severity of His punishment. And number seven, that actions are according to that which we die upon, and the finality or the end of what we die upon. Uh, here the Shaykh says the relationship of this hadith to the chapter is that this hadith indicates the prohibition of making a sacrifice to other than Allah and in this case even an insignificant thing as a fly if a person makes that sacrifice in the way of yani for the purpose of getting near to or glorifying other than Allah in that case that sacrifice would be an act of ibadah and any act of ibadah which is offered to other than Allah is shirk And then finally, he has a note here, the last point, he mentions that this hadith is not in contradiction to the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Nahl, chapter 16, verse 106, إِلَّا مَنْ أُقْرِهَا وَقَلْبُهُ مُطْمَئِنٌ بِالْإِيمَانِ That, يعني, the exception of the person who will be punished, the exception is the one who is forced to do that act, like in the case of a person who is forced to commit an act of kufr or shirk, except the one who is forced وَقَلْبُهُ مُطْمَئِنٌ مُطْمَئِنٌ بِالْإِيمَانِ And the person who is forced, while his heart is content with faith. And the person who has iman in his heart, that he does this act or says this word, because he is compelled to do so in order to save his life. So that this hadith is not a contradiction to this ayah. This ayah is a proof that there is an exception for the one who is compelled, who is forced at the cost of living his life. That person is excused as long as the Iman remains in their heart because the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said in this hadith that they said فقرب 
تقرب ذبابا يعني they said the word here تقرب the fact that they asked him to make a sacrifice with the intention of giving near to their idol and the person who did so it means that that person is pleased with this action and that their heart is open towards it otherwise if the person did so without being pleased with it and without accepting it and considering it as, an, as a detestable act and an act of shirk but they only did it because their life was threatened if it was at the cost of living their life and they did it while retaining iman in their heart then it would not be held against them that person would be excused as mentioned in the above ayat of Surah Al-Mahm so here the shaykh he is closing with this point saying that uh, to keep in mind the idea that the one who does so while being compelled at the cost of at the, at the threat of living their life while iman is retained in their heart they are excused while the one who does so being pleased with that act and hoping to get near to that thing or that one other than Allah by such an act and this is shirk akbar and it requires the person to enter the hellfire the questions if we can look at them quickly and also the points from Kitab al-Fakir at the end the important issues Allahu A'lam which one we should start with my time is very short but let us do the points very quickly because some of them are really about most important and then the questions inshallah if we have a chance even after the event we can cover them quickly the first of the Masail or the issues that Imam Muhammad al-Mabduha mentions is the explanation of the verse قُلْ إِنَّ الصَّلَاةِ وَنُسُقِي that verily my prayer my sacrifice and my life and my death for all for Allah the explanation of this verse is discussed in this chapter that everything is for Allah alone the second of them is the explanation of the saying of Allah فَصَلِّي لِرَبِّكَ وَنْحَى that the tafsir of this verse is the prayer and sacrifice and here the point is the sacrifice it is like prayer it is an act of worship and it is for Allah alone whoever offers them to other than Allah's shirk the third point الْبَدَاعَةُ بِلَعَنَةِ مَنْ ذَهَبَ مَنْ ذَبَحَ لِغَيْرِ اللَّهِ that here in the hadith the Prophet ﷺ began with the curse of Allah upon the one who sacrifices to other than Allah before he mentioned the curse of Allah upon others the one who supports or helps the muhdith or the one who curses his own parents and so on and the point here is that the most important and the most dangerous of those who are cursed is the one who violates Tawheed and that's why he began with that first and always the rights of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are mentioned before the rights of others even though the rights of others may be joined with the rights of Allah then we always begin with the rights of Allah therefore showing the importance of the right of Allah and the precedence of the rights of Allah over other rights and the danger of the violation of the rights of Allah the fourth point is uh, that the curse of Allah is upon the one who curses his parents and this includes uh, the person who curses the parents of another person so then that person curses his parents yani. the cursing of one's parents could be in two ways one, that a person curses their own parents directly or that they curse someone else's parents which causes that person to curse theirs number five the curse of Allah upon the one who supports the mahdith the criminal to protect him from the punishment he deserves or the innovator who innovates in the being and one is pleased with such uh, the six of them the curse of Allah upon the one who changes the landmarks yani, uh, which separate between the land of a person and their neighbor by advancing it or delaying it in order that they may 
take something from that person's land any unjustly or illegally. The seventh of them is Al-Farq Bain Al-A'an Al-Mu'ayyan Wala'an Ahl Al-Ma'ati Ala Sabeel Al-Umun This is a very important point The difference between the person of a particular specific person mentioning them by name which according to the best opinion it is prohibited and the person of the people of sin or the people of corruption and immorality or the disbelievers and pagans cursing them specifically by name even the disbelievers and pagans perhaps that one who is cursed Allah may open his heart and he may accept Islam before dying. So the living should not be cursed specifically, but in general, the people of sin and corruption and kufr and shirk they may be cursed in general. Uh, and the Shaykh has a long discussion concerning this, but time will not allow. Number eight, that this great story, it is uh, the story of the fly, it is a very, very amazing uh, incident that is you know, based on the position of those who consider this hadith to be authentic, as Shaykh Muhammad al Wahab obviously considered this hadith to be authentic, while uh, apparently the more correct opinion is that the hadith is weak. The seventh, uh, the ninth point is uh, the fact that a person inflicts the hellfire due to the fly which was sacrificed to other than Allah while that person didn't intend to make a sacrifice to other than Allah but the person only did so to escape from the evil of those mushrikeen again this is a point about which there is difference of opinion whether or not that person did not intend to make a sacrifice for getting near to that idol but they only performed that sacrifice outwardly while in their heart they didn't have any intention or desire to get near to that idol but they only did so to escape from their harm, that is to save their life. This is the point that is contested and the apparent text of the hadith doesn't support this opinion, does not support the fact that the person made the sacrifice to save his life because there is nothing in the hadith to indicate that they threatened to kill him if he didn't make the sacrifice. But the hadith says that they didn't allow anybody to pass by that road and that's another sacrifice, which means he could have went by another road. The only argument that they have is at the end of the hadith the one who refused that he was killed for doing so. But the reason why he was killed for doing so is not clear. And perhaps the most obvious reason is that he said to them openly that I would never make a sacrifice to anything less than Allah. Not anything. I wouldn't even sacrifice a fly. I would not sacrifice anything, shay'an, to anything less than Allah. And that was a form of humiliation of those people and degradation of their idol. And that may have been the cause why they killed him instead of just preventing him from going home to Allah in any case, the more correct opinion, as the Shaykh mentioned in some detail concerning this matter, is that whoever is compelled to commit an act of kufr or shirk against their will, while their heart remains, in their heart, iman remains, and they dislike doing such a thing, and they are not agreeing with it, uh, then that person who does so, being compelled or forced to do so at the course of their life, then that person is excused clearly by the text of the Quran. Uh, the statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that was mentioned من كفر بالله من بعد إيمانه يعني the whole of this believes in Allah after believing their condition is one and the exception to them إِلَّا مَنْ أُقْرِهَا وَقَلْبُهُ مُتْمَئِنٌ بِالْإِيمَانِ except the one who is compelled who is forced while his heart remains in faith ولكن 
من شرح بالكفر صدرا but the one who opens his heart to kufr يعني هو willingly accepts the kufr or shirk then that person they are the one who, who is blamed otherwise the one who is poor while iman remains in heart that person is excused and this is the correct opinion wallahu alam that whoever is compelled to do something while they remain on iman they are excused while the one who accepts it who accepts to do such acts then that person is blameworthy and that appears to be the case of the two men in this hadith Tani, if we uh, take the position of those who consider the hadith to be authentic the tenth point is uh, knowing the extent of shirk in the hearts of the believers to what extent or what amount of shirk is in the heart of the believers yeah, I mean, this is based on the opinion of most of the scholars who said that both of these people were Muslims that one of them, the one who entered the hellfire only entered the hellfire after entering kufr by making this act of shirk otherwise uh, there were some uh, degree or some amount of shirk that was in his heart which he which allowed him to do such an act otherwise look at the extent of the I mean, the hatred and, and detest uh, how, he, how the second man detested shirk to such an extent that he patiently accepted uh, that they would kill him he patiently accepted so um, instead of acting in agreement with um, what they requested or required of him um, even though they were only asking him to do so yeah, and apparently and to do it simply you know uh, do some act of shirk even openly first but he rejected it uh, the 11th point is that the one who entered the fire he was a Muslim because if he had been a kafir then it would not have been said دَخَلَ النَّارِ فِي ذُبَابِ that he entered the fire simply due to the sacrifice of the fly but in fact he would have entered the hellfire due to the fact that he was a kafir but this is, so this is the proof that he was a, a Muslim who and he entered kufr due to the act of seeking nearness to the idol by making the sacrifice even of an insignificant thing the 12th point is in this hadith is a proof or in this hadith uh, there is a proof for another hadith an authentic hadith which in which the Prophet said Al-Jannatu Aqrabu Ila Ahadukum Min Shiraqi Na'alihi Wal-Naru Misla Dharik Yani that the paradise is near to one of you than his shoe strings or the strings of his sandals and likewise is the hellfire is near to you and in this hadith there is also proof of the nearness of the paradise and the hellfire this hadith report in Al-Bukhari Muslim the 13th point and it is the last of them uh, and it requires some investigation and reflection uh, is the, to know or to acknowledge and recognize the fact that the actions of the heart it is the most important matter the actions of the heart the intention behind any action actions are judged according to intentions and that which is in the heart is more important than what a person does openly people sometimes do good deeds openly while in the heart there is that which contradicts it but what's more important is the real actions of the heart and the actions, the outer actions should be in accordance to the actions of the heart and this, the fact that the actions of the heart is the most important thing this was also the position of those who worshipped idols and therefore they tried to get people to incline their hearts towards their idols in any way that they could even by making a small sacrifice and just accept our idols in your heart a little bit that was sufficient for them even though the sacrifice itself was of insignificant was of no benefit but it was just the attempt to cause the heart to be inclined towards falsehood there are some I mean, important discussions concerning these points but there is no time 
cover them. Allahu Quickly to look at the questions on the handout. Uh, if we can answer them, define al-zabh, sacrifice or slaughter, mentioning its divisions. And in the definition of al-zabh, it is the spilling of blood, the sacrificing of an animal for the pleasure of Allah, yani to get near to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Or to get near to other than Allah. Yani the zabh that is for Allah is in accordance with Tawheed, and the zabh which is to get near to other than Allah is a shirk. In these divisions we set up four, the person, yani in consideration of al-tasmiyah and al-qaf, yani the types of sacrifice in consideration of the mentioning of the name of Allah, and of the intention behind it. Who is it for? What is it for? We set up four that a person mentions the name of Allah and they sacrifice for the sake of Allah. And that's a tawheed. And the second of them is mentioning the name of Allah but sacrificing for other than Allah. And that's a form of shirk and ibadah. Because the intention behind the sacrifice for other than Allah, though Allah's name is mentioned. And the third of them is mentioning other than the name of Allah and it is sacrificed for other than Allah. And this is pure shirk. Mentioning the name of other than Allah, and as well having the intention in one's heart that is other than Allah. And the last of them is mentioning a name other than Allah, but having in one's heart the intention that they are doing it for the sake of Allah, and to get near to Allah. And this is also incorrect to mention the name of other than Allah, but it's less than the one who, and at least the intention in the heart is for Allah. That's less than the one who does it for other than Allah, as well as in the name of other than Allah. Explain the two above verses, Yani, where in my prayer and I sacrifice my life and my death all for Allah. Yani the essence of this verse is that everything is for Allah, Yani prayers and sacrifice ibadah, and as well as life and death, which indicates wumudiyah, Yani is the acknowledgement of Tawheed for Allah alone, he has no partner in either of these aspects, in the right to be worshipped as well as his authority and power over life and death. And the second of those verses, is that prayer and sacrifice they are equal in that they are acts of worship and they are, only, they are only accepted if they are done for Allah alone. What is the relationship between the two verses above in the chapter under discussion? The relationship between these two verses and the chapter under discussion is that this chapter is concerning uh, sacrifice which has been made to other than Allah and these two verses make us to know that sacrifice is an act of worship that belongs to Allah alone therefore if it's offered to other than Allah it is shirk a shirk al-akbar major shirk what is the meaning of Allah'an? Allah curses the one who in the hadith of Ali what is the meaning of Allah'an? Naam? Naam to be repulsed or to be far removed from the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is the la'an of Allah. And if it's the la'an or the curse of other than Allah, then it means that a person speaks harshly, cursing someone with foul language, or that they supplicate, that they supplicate, make dua against that person, that Allah's curse be upon them. Uh, why did the Prophet sallallahu curse the one who makes his sacrifice or dhabh to other than Allah? Why did the Prophet sallallahu curse such a person? Because it's a violation of Tawheed, because of the severity of the act that a person makes a sacrifice to other than Allah, it's shirk, made a shirk. It's very severe, it's a violation of Tawheed. Therefore, that person deserves to be far removed from the mercy of Allah. He doesn't deserve Allah's mercy or worship other than Him. What is meant by a person cursing his parents? Yeah. Now, that a person uh, supplicates or use harsh language against their parents directly 
cursing them or or indirectly that they abuse someone else's parents which cause that person to abuse their parents. What is the ruling concerning cursing? Sinful, immoral and disbelieving people. Explain. Now, in general it's permissible to do so, to say لَعَنَ اللَّهِ عَلَى النَّصَارِ وَالْيَهُودِ وَالْمِشْرِكِينَ وَالْمُجْرِمِينَ وَالْأَحْلِ بِدَعَ And the curse of Allah be upon the Christians and Jews and pagans and people of... Yani, generally, without mentioning specifically the person's name, as for saying the curse of Allah be upon such and such person, mentioning him specifically by name, this is according to the best opinion, prohibited. Now, <laughs> and it is the, 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 the more correct opinion, there is difference of opinion, as we said, some of the that it's permissible, but the more correct opinion is that it should be general. It should be general. Uh, otherwise, perhaps the Prime Minister of Israel, he could become a Muslim, but it's not impossible. So to curse such a person who is living, while the chance that Allah may accept him to submit to him, and to die in Islam, this is incorrect. And this is the more correct opinion. I remember Sheikh Abdul Muslim al-Abdad in the Masjid of the Prophet some years ago was discussing this issue when he was doing the Sharq of Sayyid Bukhari. And he said that if you pass by an evil or immoral or corrupt person or the disbelievers and you said, La'an Allah al-Bukhar, it is okay. Even though you are saying it right next to that person and they know you are talking about them, but without mentioning their name. Because that person, if you mention them specifically, then it is as though you are asking Allah to remove them from His mercy. Well, Allah might want to accept that person, to submit to Him, as many of the pagans in the time of the Prophet accepted Islam and died of Islam. And we shouldn't ask Allah to remove them from His mercy, but we hope that Allah will guide them to Islam. And the Muslim desires that every human being accept Islam and die on Tawheed and worships Allah. Not that people should remain in shirk. The Prophet didn't want that people should remain in shirk, but He wanted them to come to Islam. And we should also want so. And therefore, we shouldn't yani, ask for Allah's curse upon people even when they commit sinful acts. It, it happened on one occasion that someone had committed an act of drinking alcohol. So many times they were brought to the Prophet and punished, reported in Sahih Bukhari, and some of the people said, La'an Allah Ali, or something like this. The Prophet said, Don't curse him. Don't curse him. And in that particular occasion, he said, Because he loves Allah and his messenger. Even though he was drinking. In any case, the important thing is that there's difference of opinion and the yeah, closer opinion is that it is better to avoid making specific mention of individuals by cursing them. Allah uh, What may be derived from the hadith of Al-Dubar, the fly which was sacrificed? And what, what, may be, what may we understand from this hadith? What are some of the points that might be derived? The importance of niyyah, now, the actions of the heart. Now, what else? <coughs> now, the severity of shirk and the danger of shirk even in a small amount or in small matters or what might be considered, one might consider as being small. And also the, I mean, the greatness of a tawheed, that a person is maintaining and preserving their tawheed even in such a small matter. It is expected and required and it is rewarded and considered as something great in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The sister sent the question, Mr. Allah, what should a person do who fails having committed small sins like making an unauthorized photocopy or taking flowers from a public park? Can a child be offered as compensation for such acts? And whoever has done something that is considered as disobedient or sinful or illegal or unlawful according to the Sharia of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, 
then the person, if it is something related to the rights of people, then they should correct it by returning the rights to those whom they have taken it from. And if it is something in reference to the rights of Allah, then they should repent to Allah with all the uh, requirements of repentance. Yeah, I mean, likewise, in the first case, they should repent. But the important difference is that in the rights of human beings, the rights of those people should be returned if possible. And if it's not possible to return the rights to those people, then charity may be given or something may be done as acts of good deeds. And if that person cannot be found or is not known, then they do something, offer something in charity, to make up for that which cannot be returned to those whose rights were taken. Now. That is to, 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 to say that our life or our death is for a nation, for a land, for a people, for a ruler, for whatever, organization, is unacceptable. It's unacceptable. Our life and our death is for Allah alone. And other than that, it's, you know, to confess or to acknowledge other than that, it is a form of shit. No Muslim should say so, unless they are forced and compelled to do so at the cost of losing their life. Otherwise, the Muslim should avoid it. They should not say And such things are common, not only in the Philippines, but in all uh, countries where the rule of other than Islam is enforced, the people are expected to pledge allegiance in America to the flag or whatever, I pledge allegiance, I forgot it now, the United States, and the flag, whatever it stands for, some foolishness. Um, all of this is uh, and it's rejected by the Muslims, because our allegiance is to Allah and His Messenger, and to the believers. And this is the awful, it is the fundamental of Islam, al-Wala'a al-Bara, that our allegiance is only to Allah and His Messenger, the believers. And outside of this believers, we have no allegiance to them, to their nation, to their flag, to their army, whatever, to their system, we have no allegiance to them, and we shouldn't support it. This is one of the reasons why Al-Hijrah, migration from the land of the disbelievers to the land of the Muslims is obligatory. It was made obligatory in the time of the Prophet and that Hijrah remains standing until today, according to the correct opinion of the majority of the scholars of Sunnah. That Hijrah is obligatory, especially in the case of those Muslims who are in the land of the disbelievers, who are compelled to uh, act in any way, but to do actions which are contrary to the law of Allah. And even in the case where a person is totally, absolutely free to worship Allah without any interference, and if no one interferes with them to prevent them from worshiping Allah completely in any way, nor does anyone try to force them to worship or to do anything other than that which is pleasing to Allah, even in that case, the, the, the scholars of Sunnah said, even, even for that person it is mustahab, that they should leave that land, where they are allowed to worship Allah freely, they should leave that land and go to the land of the believers, because the believer should not give preference to living amongst the disbelievers or living amongst the believers even though they are allowed to worship what about the one who is not allowed to worship or is forced to do acts of shirk or kufr or that which is displeasing to Allah then more so they are required if they are able if they are able if they have the ability then they are required to go to the land of the Muslims and Allah knows this is the long issue which we discussed on many occasions no need to and we won't see any detail here now Any have a question or comment before we leave? I 
if a Muslim commits a crime, yani a crime that's considered as a crime in the Sharia of Allah, in the non-Muslim land, not that which is considered as a crime in the law of the Kafirs, but may not be something criminal in Islam. For example, in America, it's forbidden, it's illegal to have more than one wife. A Muslim who has two wives in America is a criminal. It's a crime, you may be in prison for it. So, if he escapes to the land of Muslims, then the Muslims should protect him, because he's not really a criminal. He's a criminal in their law, but not in the law of Allah. Okay? He's a criminal that should be in prison according to their law. While if he has a girlfriend, two or three or four, that she doesn't mind, he doesn't take care of them, then he's, oh, it's okay, it's allowed. But to have a wife, more than one, it is a crime in man. So, the one who commits a crime in the non-Muslim land and escapes to the Muslim land, if it is a crime that's considered as a crime in the Sharia, in the Sharia, then the Muslim ruler should hold him accountable for it. But not return him to the Kafirs. Not to be ruled by the law of the Kafirs. But he should be judged by the law of the Muslims. And he should be dealt with by the Muslims. But not return. If he escaped, made hijrah from the land of the Kafirs to the land of the Muslims, then he should be held accountable in the land of the Muslims by the Muslim law. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim.